electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell willing to do whatever it takes to combat inflation, and it comes with a warning of bigger rate hikes. If you need to get back to an actual interest rate that could actually do something about inflation, it's going to be 2030. Disney pushed into action by its employees on politics. What's the strategy at the House of Mouse and of its CEO? Puck News' Matt Bellany joins us. This is a narrative that has been created around Bob Chapek, that he has sort of been tone deaf to some of the issues that are important to not only Disney employees, but some of the talent that are so important to the success of the company. And easing pain at the gas pump. Cutting a gas tax cuts the strain for a while, but it's only temporary, says Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. We've got to provide for America's energy independence, and we've got to increase production uh, here at home, and so we're not so reliant on foreign countries for our oil. Plus, want a Warhol? It'll only cost you a cool $200 million. It's just another way of saying I have enough money to put this on my wall. It's just another way of compensating for something else, right? It's Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Thanks for the opportunity to speak here today. It's great to be back at NABE and it's great to see you. It happened Monday at an in-person gathering of economists in Washington. The labor market is very strong and inflation is much too high. Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell, in prepared marks for the NAIB policy conference, vowed such tough action on inflation that the Fed's planned interest rate hikes could be even higher than the quarter percentage point we saw last week. The ultimate responsibility for price stability rests with the Federal Reserve. In particular, if we conclude that it is appropriate to move more aggressively by raising the federal funds rate by more than 25 basis point at a meeting or meetings, we will do so. And if we determine that we need to tighten beyond common measures of neutral and into a more restrictive stance, we'll do that as well. Chair Powell said the concern over higher prices for consumer goods jeopardizes an otherwise strong economic recovery after the shock of the COVID-19 pandemic. Last month's consumer price index showing 7.9% inflation, far higher than the Fed's 2% target. And the move last week, 25 basis points, the first of an expected six hikes this year, was to start to wind down the aggressive pandemic-era extraordinary supports that have been in place the last few years. This move was, as they say, highly telegraphed. Jay Powell told us he was thinking about it, warned us when he'd get serious about really thinking about it over a series of months in the last year. So the sudden tightening, 50 basis points maybe instead of 25, well, it took investors by surprise. Stocks slipped to their lows of the Monday session after Powell's remarks. Here's where I'll pass it off to Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan and Becky Quick, joined today by CNBC senior markets commentator Michael Santoli. Here's Becky. 
Mike, those comments coming out of Jay Powell, maybe not a huge surprise, but it did have the market start thinking that maybe there's going to be a 50 basis point hike that comes next. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, you would think it was mostly a reiteration of what he had said in his press conference after the Fed raised rates last week. But the market clearly was kept off balance by it. And, and in fact, you have Goldman Sachs out today saying they now think uh, a half percent increase both in May and June. So that would be another full percentage point of short term rate increases by the middle of this year. And if you analyze what he said, he's basically saying if this persists. So if you were to annualize where inflation is right now, of course you'd need to do 50. And in fact, you should have done 50 the first time, except you don't want to shock anyone. You got to ease into the, the, you know, if you're ending QE and doing QT, and you don't want to go 50 at the same time, so you sort of ease in with a 25. But do you know how long but it takes to get back easing? to a, do you know how long it takes to get back to a normal number with quarter point hikes? Very long with, time. Inflation and, and by is the way, is this the easing process? This is the easing process, right? This is like where they're, 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 we, they, we said the market didn't want to be shocked, didn't want to be shocked that a 50 basis point hike was coming. This is how you do that. This is how you talk them into this. But if you're trying, if you need to get, I don't know what the terminal rate is. I don't know if I believe it's 2%. If you need to get back to an actual interest rate that, that could actually do something about inflation, let's say that's three, four, five, you can, it's going to be 2030 if, well, with quarter point. Right? You've got to go a half. What was a, interesting it's about a, the responses of Powell to questions at the press conference last week, they actually tried to pin him down and say, do you think that the hikes this year are really going to be doing a lot to fight inflation, to bring it down? And he wouldn't even commit to that because no. it operates with a lag. Yeah. We don't really think whatever we're going to do this year is you know, going to be the thing that brings inflation down. But they're going to be tightening alongside what they hope is uh, an easing back of inflation. What also to me is a takeaway of what he's saying is the more room the market gives them, the more they will take. Uh, the more the market can right. feel like it stays together and it doesn't panic and we have, you know, stocks rallied last week, uh, you know, financial conditions actually eased because volatility came down, credit markets did well. That means that they'll say, fine, you give it, give us that slack, we'll take it as long as Mike, we can as we monitor inflation. Pardon me? You are arguing for a temper tantrum there. Don't don't let people know. Well, they have the not power really to do arguing that. for it because I think if maybe the market, the fact that it went, you know, the average stock went down 20% from its high. Maybe we've already kind of done some of that work in trying to figure out what the effect might be. In the old days, at 8%, a half a point was the percentage was small. At two at one percent, wherever we are, whatever number we want to use now, it's like, oh my God. Half a point would be a a forty percent increase, and so it's. But but the it, it it used to be to get somewhere, you know. If you're gonna try and it, it reminded me of when you'd uh, if you're gonna uh, like give someone uh, an antibiotic. It's like let's start with a low dose, and if we need more, right. we'll, it's like what? Give me the dose, you know. And I'm not saying I need <laughs> one, but yeah, yeah giving give the don't wait to see if it gets worse, and then it, you might as well. Try to get where I, you're going as quickly. That, as, but you don't want to shock. The, the first one you don't want to do. But don't you think, oh, we'll get a 50. We need it. We've been in, sure. It's been how many years? Like a, It's been over a decade that we've been well, in Well, and then the question is, what happens with the economy? Does it slow down anyway? Not if you look at airlines, uh, t- seats or, or Nike or, or, I mean, people are, I think there's pent up. I think people have money from, uh, from all the COVID relief. And, and they haven't done anything in so long. They're like, like a cabin fever. It's going right. to. I mean, look, I, I do think it's been an unusual cycle in that way because you haven't had, you know, consumers build up debt and all these other things that usually proceed. You know, paint the town red like that dress, Becky.
A shirt, but thank you. The shares of Nike are higher. The retailer's quarterly results beat uh, analyst estimates thanks to robust demand in North America. Nike delayed its outlook for the coming year, though, citing uncertainties around inflation, war in Ukraine, and clogged supply chains. Uh, it expects to provide that guidance along with its next quarterly report. But you just look at the quarter descended. People were running in Nike sneakers to get on packed airplanes to fly to places where there's no hotel rooms available to try and make reservations at a restaurant that you can't get in. So that I, that's my story on this. Roaring 20s for a while yeah. with the consumer. Did I forget anything? Um, to order stuff that's tough to get uh, at the restaurant from the supply chain if you do get a right. table. And it takes a long time because they can't to, go to, pay twice as much for, yeah. Yeah, to pay twice as much for a steak. Yeah. What else? Bacon's $12 a pound. Don't get a Cobb salad. Bacon. You got back to bacon, huh? Made it to bacon. Never takes me long. You know what's still cheap? Best bargain in town? Taco Bell. Flat rate taco. (laughs) This Maryland portrait is one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic and transcendent images of the 20th century. I like the Maryland. Do you like the Maryland? Looks a lot like her. Uh, but then it's, it's kind of got, you know, it's not exactly a photograph like the Campbell Soup can, but the Maryland might be, might be his best, Andy Warhol. The portrait is hitting the auction block for 200 Milski, $200 million. Christie's New York will host the auction in May. Uh, it expects the painting to set a record for the most expensive 20th century artwork ever to sell at auction. Warhol created uh, five versions of the Maryland piece, each on a different colored background. This one is known as Shot Sage Blue Maryland. Shot Sage. Such Sage. Shot Sage. Uh, you better stop trying to say that. Yeah, I know. Get the previous trouble. record for a Warhol at auction is $100 million. And let's say that you had more money than, usually God, I'd say more money than Warren. Uh, you just throw that in there. Let's say you had more money than Warren, and you're having a party, and people walk in, and you have that thing on the wall. That that I mean, that's cheap for 200. That's cheap for 200 million to have the Marilyn Monroe, Andy Warhol, or Jeff Bezos, or whomever. If you walk in and go, oh my God, that's pretty cool. That looks pretty good. And you go, that's actually it. I mean, that's worth 200 million. Yeah, no million. way. Nobody would believe that. Huh? It'd yeah, be no like one if, would if believe it. If you showed up with a no ring one... that was this big, you're like, yeah, right. no way. But it's so iconic, it would be, almost be worth it if you could say, yeah, I picked that up mm-hmm. last week. Stretch um, for me. Still a stretch for me. You wouldn't do it? Even if I had I, it, I, I, I wouldn't buy it. No, it's not my edge. thing. You already got a, 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 a uh, Global just, Express. You got a couple of them. You already got... It's just, it's one of those... Well, it's just another way of saying I have enough money to put this on my wall. But then it would be very cool when you're having It's just another way of compensating for something else, right? I suppose. I think it'd be very cool. People walk in. Hey, I just possession thing like it has to be mine and therefore. Well, then you can throw your party in like an art gallery and say they're all of the. Okay. Coming up on Squawk Pod, one governor is trying to alleviate consumers' pain at the pump with a holiday on the gas tax. Maryland's Larry Hogan on the response to that and his state's work in cybersecurity, a rising concern due to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. I think now that Putin's sort of backed into a corner and getting desperate, I think he's going to try to retaliate and we've got to be prepared for it. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Stand Becky by. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC, and here's Becky Quick. Maryland is the first state in the nation to pause its gas tax as fuel costs have surged nationwide. Governor Larry Hogan signed emergency legislation on Friday to ease consumers' pump at the pain, or pain at the pump, I should say. Georgia has also announced a gas tax holiday, and more than a dozen states could follow. Joining us right now is Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland. And, and Governor, thank you for being here this morning. Obviously, higher prices for gas are front and center for just about everyone. Um, this was bipartisan legislation. Why, why did you all go ahead with this move? Well, we saw the pain at the pump with the rapidly rising prices that everybody across the country was seeing. And we decided we wanted to take some you know, urgent, immediate action. And this all came together really quickly uh, within a week of us calling on our legislature to act. Uh, they passed this unanimously across party lines in both houses. Uh, in, and so here in Maryland, instead of just arguing about who's to blame for it, we decided to uh, take immediate action to do something about it. It makes sense. And I, I suppose every little bit helps. But obviously, there are people asking some questions about what this might mean. Some critics have pointed out that for the average Marylander who drives 12,000 miles a year in a car that gets about 25 miles to the gallon, they're only going to be saving about $15 over the course of this 30-day savings. And again, every little bit helps, but that does mean that the state's going to have about a $100 million shortfall. And I guess that gets to the point of wondering, you know, are you robbing Peter to pay Paul in some way if you are having to make up for those funds elsewhere? Well, um, first of all, I think it makes a huge difference to the average consumer. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, the average price across country is something like $425. We're down around $375. So we're 50 cents a gallon cheaper than most. We have the lowest gas prices or one of the lowest in the entire country. Uh, and I had people all weekend all over the state thanking me because they saw the difference. If they put 10 or 20 gallons into their tank and they got 50 cents a gallon, it was a pretty big deal to them. Um, and uh, it, it really isn't going to impact us because we've turned our state around and gone from a $5.1 billion deficit to a $2.5 billion surplus. We have $3.6 billion in our rainy day fund. We have a AAA bond rating. Um, we could afford to do this. It is about $100 million a month. It's not going to take any money away from any other important programs, and it's not going to uh, take anything away from our infrastructure, which the gas tax is supposed to pay for. We're building uh, you know, we're improving infrastructure all across the state on every priority project. So it's a I think it's a big deal for consumers. I think uh, a lot of other states are going to do exactly what we did. Um, and uh, I can tell you, it's overwhelmingly popular. Okay? We, instead of just arguing about things in Washington, we actually did something. No, I, I'm, I'm sure it is. I, I guess my point would be is if there are other states that follow suit and wind up using maybe COVID relief funds for something like that, would you have a problem with it? 
you know, I think, well, you know, whatever we can do to try to help people, I don't know what other states are considering. I just know that we proposed this in a week. It got passed. I signed it into law that day and on Friday and immediately gas prices came down dramatically and, and people were very happy about it. It's obviously just a short term fix. Uh, yeah, but it, it, I think right. it it's a short term fix. And you all are doing what you can help, obviously. Um, yeah. But there are bigger problems here and some bigger concerns about what happens with gas prices overall. What, what would you like to see happen on a federal level? Because the federal gas tax has, has, has not been suspended yet. Well, I think a big issue is just, uh, you know, we, we've got to uh, provide for America's energy independence and we've got to increase production uh, here at home. And so we're not so reliant on on foreign uh, countries for our for our oil. And uh, we, I, I was one of 24 governors who signed a letter to President Biden calling for just that uh, to, uh, you know, uh, rapidly uh, change position and to help us increase production. Uh, and, uh, and so we can solve this on a more long term basis rather than, uh, you know, us just taking emergency action at the states. Hmm. Governor, let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity. Um, the president, President Biden, warning yesterday that that Russia is prepared for cyber attacks on the United States. I, I know it's something that he is calling on companies to make sure that they are shoring up resources. But I would assume, as the the governor of the state, you're looking at things too. I know that the Department of Health from Maryland was attacked by a denial of service attack back in in December. And from everywhere I hear, it seems like these attacks are stepping up even before some massive launch comes from the Russians. Um, how, how prepared are you? What are you doing to, on that front? And um, what do you see at this point? Well, it's definitely a serious problem that we're watching very closely. Um, you know, you're right. Health departments across the country were attacked with these kinds of things. They're going after not just large companies and you know, uh, our critical infrastructure, but every federal and state agency across the country. And it's something to be very concerned about. Look, Maryland is the, the cyber capital of America. We're home to the NSA and U.S. Cyber Command and NIST. And so we're we're very focused on that. And Ann Newberger, who made this announcement yesterday from the White House, is a Marylander and a friend and participated with us on a number of things. And I can tell you, our whole team uh, is focused on it. I think the threats are real. Uh, and we've been talking about this for a long time about Russia's capabilities. And I think now that Putin's sort of backed into a corner and getting desperate uh, and uh, we're cutting off his uh, financial supply, uh, taking dramatic actions against him, I think he's going to try to retaliate and we've got to be prepared for it. How, how safe do you feel at this point and how safe should the average citizen here feel? You know, I, I, I think we're doing everything that anyone can think of uh, to keep us safe. I think businesses are doing it, uh, local and state governments and the federal government, all of our uh, security agencies are working on it. But uh, I'm not convinced that they won't be able to get through. I mean, you know, remember the colonial pipeline they shut down on the East Coast was a major problem. Uh, you know, we've had uh, attacks in different places. Uh, I think they've, they've they've made some pretty serious threats and, uh, you know, we're aware of them and we're going to try to try our best to provide the best defense we can. Governor, one of the things we've been talking about this morning is the Fed's move to say that it will raise interest rates and do whatever needs to be done to tackle inflation. Um, you made the point that your state's in very good fiscal shape right now. And that's one of the things we've talked about, too. Consumers seem to be very flush. Businesses seem to be very flush. Um, but obviously, everybody's worried about what comes with inflation, what comes with things like higher gas prices. When, when you're kind of looking out across the, or the horizon, what do you see in terms of the tax receipts your state's taking in, both, both from the consumer perspective, but then on the business front, too? And, and where would you kind of advise, just from, from where you sit, where do things look? 
Well, so our economy is booming and we've got the fourth best economic recovery in America. We're growing businesses and jobs. We have huge demand and, and, and not enough supply. We've got supply chain issues. Inflation is an issue. Our revenues are up dramatically. So, uh, you know, it puts the state in better fiscal shape, but the cost to the consumers are going up, which is why we've been like we did uh, on the emergency gas tax legislation. This week, we're trying to finalized eliminating our retirement taxes uh, to take the ease the burden on on folks that are on a fixed income. And we've cut taxes eight years in a row by uh, nearly four billion dollars. And and because, you know, I think we want to try to let consumers like families and small businesses keep more of their own money in their own pockets so we can grow the economy. But, you know, I think inflation is a major concern. There's no question about that. And uh, it affects, you know, individuals and businesses and state governments as well. Yeah, it's funny to have such a flush economy and, and have consumers feeling so on edge about what comes next, businesses too. It's a different time that we're entering. Thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, Disney employees take a stand against discrimination. Some are walking off the job today in protest of the company's uneven response to Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill and other legislation. CNBC's Julia Borston. This, they've all told me, is just the first step. Now the question is, what does Disney do next? What are the next steps to making sure that Disney follows through on the conversations and promises that it's made in the past week or so? And two media journalists on what it means for an already tense leadership at Disney. We'll be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Today with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Mike Santoli. Sorry, push on Joe. Up on him, cute. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box uh, on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'll tell you why I was smiling, Becky, just for a second. And you know how my mind works, Mike. So uh, when you go to Apple TV, you know they show those beautiful shots and they sort of, you're moving along. It's like a helicopter or a satellite shot or something. So it was Manhattan. So I was trying to figure out on this big wide shot where we are, where we are. And, And I saw there's the Empire State Building. And then I could see where other things were. And then I go, we are right. And I look, and there's nothing more dead center in Manhattan than Times Square, which immediately and made me And I know what you should jump to next. Yeah, which immediately, <laughs> I immediately thought, we're toast. Yep. If it ever That's, that's where the, the bombs are headed. Yeah. But uh, I couldn't, I, but we are in the Look for the bullseye on the map. In yeah. the bullseye. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Anyway. 
Disney is trying to address employee frustration over its handling of Florida's so-called don't say gay bill. But today, some workers are planning a walkout. Julia Borston joins us now with the latest. Good morning, Julia. Well, at a virtual meeting yesterday, Disney CEO Bob Chapek acknowledged missteps and announced new plans to help address that employee frustration. Chapek said that he wanted to use this moment as a catalyst for meaningful change. In addition to working with those of fighting the Florida bill and pausing donations in Florida, he announced three new steps the company is taking. Chapek is going on a listening tour to hear employee concerns around the world. He announced a new company-wide task force to develop strategy and concrete actions to engage LGBTQ plus employees and creators to be a force for good for those communities with a special focus on developing more LGBTQ plus content. He also revealed that the company has signed the human rights campaign opposing the Texas policy that criminalizes parents providing gender affirming care for transgender minors. Now, these moves address many of the demands of the group that organized the walkout that is scheduled for this morning. Those demands include uh, requesting that Disney cease donations to politicians involved with the bill, commit to an actionable plan, and reaffirm the commitment to protecting LGBTQ plus staff. Now, sources tell me that the temperature, the level of outrage at the company has cooled since last week as employees see Disney engaging with these issues. Mike? Julia, in fact, I was going to ask that. If the employees who are uh, upset and, and maybe leading uh, these, these walkouts, uh, are there things incremental beyond what uh, Chapek has committed to uh, in terms of engaging with these issues that they're specifically looking for from management? Well, look, I think we'll learn more today, and it'll be very interesting to see how many people walk out. But a lot of people told me that they saw what happened yesterday as an important first step. I mean, this meeting, this virtual meeting that Chapek held, ended up going longer than the, the 90 minutes that had been um, planned for it, and it sounded like it was very emotional. And one thing that I heard from a number of people is that they brought in a lot of outside experts, people who um, who are in Florida who are dealing with these issues and who are who are fighting these types of bills similar to the don't say gay bill around the country and also that they're really listening to their employees now but this they've all told me is just the first step now the question is what does disney do next what is this task force look like and sort of what are the next steps to making sure that Disney follows through um, on the conversations and promises that it's it's made in the past week or so. So it seems like this is a valuable first step, but you know, the the question is what what is the action that follows? Yeah, maybe a secondary question is what's the future of Disney's longer term political engagement in Florida, which has been very extensive, of course. Uh, over the years. Julia, thank you very much. Join us now to talk about the, these latest challenges for Disney. Uh, and how much Bob Chapek has lost in this fight and what it all means for shareholders. Sarah Fisher, Axios media reporter, and Matt Maloney. Uh, he is the uh, Puck News founding partner. Matt, just reading one of your uh, pieces from, I guess, so it's about a week old, I guess, uh, from the 14th. But you just say it outright. You, you think Bob Chapek was trying to pivot to the center from the perception that Disney was too far left and this was a, a miscalculation that, that backfired? I think it's pretty clear it backfired because of everything we've seen over the past week and the fact that he literally had to flip-flop on the issue and come out against a, a bill that they had decided to not take a position on. And, you know, it caused a firestorm. And this is a narrative that 
has been created around Bob Chapek that he has sort of been tone deaf to some of the issues that are important to not only Disney employees, but some of the talent that are so important to the success of the company. And since it's been a week or so since since your piece, has he pivoted back to the point where he's uh, is it possible to do enough uh, damage control in your view for him? Is it it sounds like the, the tempers have cooled uh, to some extent. No one knows you know, how many people are going to be at the march and, and whether it's still as uh, as front and center as it was a week ago. You think it's working these, these initiatives? I think these steps are a positive change. The first and most important was that he apologized to employees for the position that he took. And he said he recognized how important it was to take a position on these issues. I think Julia is exactly right in that it's going to be proof in the pudding what they actually do on these issues going forward because the entire company is now watching every step that he makes. And it's going to be a you know gradual, but I think a, a positive thing for him to engage directly on these issues because everyone is watching and he's got a year. This is a CEO whose contract is up in February of next year. And if he can't fix these morale issues and these perception issues within the company and outside, he's got a real problem. Sarah, what, what did, in terms of the last week or so, just go off. What are your comments on the whole situation? Well, one, it's notable that this is Florida. You know, this is a state where Disney has, I think, you know, 80,000 employees. Many of them are LGBTQ. And so it's going to have to deal with these types of political issues Moving forward with Ron DeSantis as governor, you know, this is an opportunity for him to elevate his own political cachet ahead of a potential 2024 run. And so this is the first time that Bob Tapic might be running into this, but it's not going to be the last. The other thing I know is that there's some whiplash happening right now with Disney employees. You had Bob Iger, who was leading the company for many years, an open Democrat, somebody who was considering a presidential run as a progressive. He took swift action in response to a lot of these political situations. You think back to the Georgia heartbeat bill. You think back to uh, his handling of the Jamil Hill controversy. And so I think employees were expecting their CEO and their leader to come out in support of them. Now, as Matt has reported so well that the company is looking to shift a little further into the center, I think it's going to have to reckon with how that move can impact internal morale. And you know, the big picture thought here is this is one piece of politics that Disney is going to have to deal with. But think about all the things around the world they're going to have to start addressing. You have Russia. They were the first studio to pull out. You have drama in China. Bob Tapic's going to have to figure out how to manage all of these political controversies seamlessly going forward as the company's CEO. Yeah. And, and Matt, you actually had some anecdotal uh, knowledge about, I guess, did did. Bob Iger run in. Bob Iger and his, his I guess, Willow ran into Chapik at a at, at a restaurant. How how did that go? What what was that like? Can you describe that? It wasn't it wasn't Chapek. It was oh, his uh, communications right. officer. I was actually randomly having dinner with Jeff Morrell, who runs communications now for Disney and is one of the architects behind this shift to the middle politically. And he had actually never met Bob Iger, and we were sitting at a restaurant in Brentwood in Los Angeles. And the Igers were having dinner a few tables away and they met and they chatted cordially and they were very nice. But to me, the tension there was pretty palpable because Iger, I think, could see what was coming 
with this controversy. And he very deftly had uh, had navigated a number of controversies for Disney in his tenure. And, you know, Disney is different. It's not like other companies. People have an emotional connection to this brand. They plan their entire family vacation around going to this brand. So you have to really tread carefully when you are taking positions in the world because people look at what Disney does and they feel what they do. Well, didn't Chapek hired uh, this guy, right? And it knew exactly. How do you think it happened? Do you think that it, that, that the new communication, Morel, do you think he advised Chapek to move to the center? Do you think Chapek said, I want to do this and I want you to, to help me uh, I don't know what Republicans buy sneakers to. Was that the rationale? I, I think so. I mean, you have to ask them exactly how the conversation went. But it's very clear that both Chapek and his communications chief, uh, Jeff Morrell, they have made contributions in the past to Republicans. Um, Jeff Morrell came from BP, the oil and gas giant. And the chief of staff at Disney um, also comes from um, kind of conservative politics, the Bush administration. So the kind of brain trust around Bob Chapek um, is a more conservative brain trust than, you know, what the previous CEO, Bob Iger, uh, which is fine. I mean, you know, the, the previous head of communications from Disney also had a background in Republican politics, um, you know, a little bit more moderate, but it doesn't mean they can't successfully manage the communication strategy for this company. It just means that they need to be very cognizant of reading the room and knowing that when you are a creative company with you know 200,000 employees, you have to be cognizant of the LGBTQ issues and the fact that people at this company feel very strongly about these issues. And they've been trained to expect that the CEO will speak out because of what Bob Iger did over 15 years. So I think that they have perhaps learned their lesson here. Uh, we'll see how it, it goes moving forward. But I think it's going to be, uh, I think it was a real wake-up call. Sarah, I, I, you know, we're, we're not really talking about Florida or legislators, and then we didn't really talk about Georgia and legislating. I guess we don't talk about Texas and then the legislature there. I mean, all these laws were passed. I mean, if the voters there have, have the ability uh, to change things. And I, I, I know I, I, we, we talk about all the companies and their reaction to the votes in these different states. It, it's kind of strange because it's, it's kind of one step removed from the people that are actually involved with passing these laws. Something major happened during the pandemic, though, which was that there was a huge shift in America where people started to place more of their societal trust in corporations and business leaders, as opposed to government. If you take a look at who handled the vaccine rollout, it was private companies, it wasn't the government. And so as a result, there's more pressure on CEOs nowadays to address political issues in various states as they come. Now, if you're a company like Disney, and Matt just spoke to this, and you have an employee base of thousands of people who either are LGBTQ or are allies of the LGBTQ community, you are almost forced to ally with them in many of these situations, or you're at risk of losing talent. 
Look at Disney right now. They're trying to compete with the biggest tech companies in the world when it comes to streaming and creative talent. They can't afford to lose these people because they're not going to speak out on issues in the correct manner. If you take a look at Pixar's response to what happened with Disney, they even opened up a new can of worms last week saying, you know, it's not just about this bill. We don't think that you guys are letting us represent LGBTQ voices in our own creative. And so I think the new reality, Joe, is that unless you want to open that can of worms with your employees, you have to take a firm stand on these social issues. And if you decide not to, be prepared to have backlash from your talent pool, and that could impact you long term. Right. And then it eventually affects the company in, in a big way. All right, uh, Matt, it wasn't in, Bellany, uh, it, it wasn't in there. It, you know, they should put rhymes with felony in the notes. They should, and it wasn't there. So I apologize. Uh, Matt, no problem. All right, good, Matt. And uh, Sarah, your name, Fisher. I mean, how am I going to mess that up? Uh, <laughs> at, X, at Axios. Anyway, thank you both. There you <laughs> go. For Axios. <laughs> Kidding. That's the pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Follow Squawk Pod on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, rate us up to five stars or write a review on Apple Podcasts that helps other listeners discover Squawk Pod and hopefully make us part of their routine too. Have a great day. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.